When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a test. This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. Of all these opinions, this is the one that continues to blindside me, dumbfound me, gobsmack me, thunderstrike me. blasphemy. Absolute blasphemy. Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? Stay calm! This is the Overreaction Podcast. I am Chase. With me, as always, my man Cody. And we got a special episode tonight. What do we got in store for the people? got scott connor joining us on the overreaction podcast for the first time i think this is both of our second times doing a little bit of collab work with scott absolutely one of the best and really most brilliant minds in the space where i have gotten so much of my knowledge over the past year and a half absolutely excited to have him on and talk for the part two if you haven't heard the first part of our conversation on the on the destination debbie feed on monday go back listen to that one and then Go come tap into us. Come back here, and uh, we're going to just continue the conversation, roll right into it. But Chase, before we do that, we got an underdog promo to read. Absolutely. So, if you haven't heard, Destination Debbie has partnered with Underdog for the upcoming season. And if you do use code TFDR at sign up, you will get up to a one hundred dollar deposit match on your first deposit. And if you deposit ten dollars or more, you will get one year access to the Destination Debbie Discord. Hands down, the best best place to be in fantasy. So again, TFDR at sign up, up to that $100 deposit match and $10 or more will get you into the Destination Devi Discord. So uh, we are going to pick up right where we left off. We were talking about some of the trade market and and where things can go from here. Um, we, we left off with the playoff aspect of things and looking into really what are the advantages or disadvantages of having no trade deadline and... I just want to kind of get everyone's thoughts here. So, Cody, let's kick it to you real quick. What are your thoughts on having no trade deadline? Do you like it? What do you think the advantages are when it comes to uh, being a team making trades in the playoffs? In in terms of just general no trade market, I, I go back and forth because it does feel like sometimes it makes the trade market a little bit more stale. People are more afraid to move their picks because they know that you know they, they can use those picks all the way through the end of the season. There's no... There's no earlier sell-off point, so it feels like people will hold the picks a little bit longer. But in in the grand scheme of things, I do like it. It makes it to where, hey, this team gets knocked out. Like, let's go ravage that team for all of the assets that we're still scoring points right now. Um, especially in heroes versus villains, the thing that I was just thinking about as we were wrapping up last show was you're still locked in as now a playoff team. You're not going to get relegated. I can take my team and just burn it to the ground, and I'm still going to be in the top 24 next year. I've already locked in my spot at that point. There's no reason that I can't sell off everything and just go into a complete fire sale. I've got another year to lock my, I've got another full off season to rebuild this team however I want. And Scott, I'd like to kick it to you and bring you in here now. Do you think that we could potentially see that even more so than one of the teams that actually is in the bottom 12 because they still have to compete that next year? All that I now have to do is be in the top 24 by the time we get to this point next year. I could just completely tear down my team if it was in the playoffs this year, more so than even a team that was in relegation. Yeah, I think for the listeners that have never played in a league without a trade deadline, uh, it when you have a responsible group, it, be, it creates a really fascinating dynamic with the market because assuming people are not just going to feed free, basically free points and an advantage to everybody, that's the biggest concern people have. So typically leagues have trade deadlines for that reason. Oh man, there's no way I'm going to let somebody just buy a championship. 
But I think because this league has so many high-caliber managers and competitive ones at that, that most of us, once we even get to that point, even if I'm one of the teams that makes the playoffs and gets knocked out, I'm still going to be pretty stringent on what I trade and how I trade with the teams that are in it. I'm not just going to go, okay, Chase, I'm out of it. Let me go to Chase and see if I can just hand Chase the title, right? Let me just load up his team. Even if it's a good dynasty trade, you're still going to want to probably maximize what you can get for those pieces that you're trying to move. And you still have the ability to go to everybody still in the playoffs, and you have the ability to trade any player you think can give you good quote-unquote dynasty value. And that's the biggest complaint of people when they're in trade deadline leagues is they're like, you know what? I got knocked out last week of the year. I missed the playoffs, but I'm sitting on those running backs that someone could want, but it's week 14 and I'm not allowed to trade them. And the contenders would go, dude, I'd love to have that running back for week 14. You don't want them at all, but you can't make the trade. So it creates a fascinating market, but it also, it, it also makes me wonder about the teams that are, I mean, this is the Ray talks about the Trinity all the time, right? This is the anti-Trinity in terms of building your team. Not enough players. So the teams that only left with 20, 22, 24 players don't have any fab dollars for this first waiver run. Now you may look at it and go, oh, these players aren't worth anything. Uh, there's about 15 players out there that I'm interested in picking up that I think are a better caliber right now where we are sitting before training camp and preseason starts then what's going to be on the waiver wire the next four weeks. Now there's going to be stuff that changes during preseason and training camps, but I think there's probably let's just call it a dozen players that either were auctioned in the other conferences and are still out there. So clearly other people thought they were worth three, $4 or whatever, but there are also players where I go, you know what? These are guys are as good as a couple of the guys I already have on my team and I want to pick them up. So you have those teams that spend all their money. They can't participate in the first waiver run. And now they've traded all their picks and they're going into the season with 22, 23 assets. Now they may be assets that they think they can move around. They think they can tear down. They think they can add future pieces or future picks, but it, it just feels like to win a league where it is one out of 36, you're going to have to do something down the stretch that says, you know what? I'm going to, all of us are going to have holes between now and week 14, week 15. I don't want to be the team going, you know what? I have to blow up the two studs I have on my roster just to buy Chase's crusty old players that he got knocked out of the playoffs with, but he's willing to sell. I want to be the team that has three seconds, a couple thirds, maybe a first, just to throw at and try to buy a title. I typically don't like buying titles, but I'm also not going to try to out-dynasty 35 other people for year after year after year. If you're in striking distance to win a title, you want to have the ability to make that move, even if it's a slight overpay. And you can take advantage of, literally, if you make the semifinals, the Final Four, it's a two-week championship. That's going to be crazy. 32 teams could potentially be selling because everyone's going to know where they stand at that point. You, do you want to be one of those four teams in that arm race that has no picks and no flexibility? You're not going to win. You're just not. And I think the same goes for the quarterfinals. It's going to be worse if you're in the Final Eight with the best team. And you see four of the other eight teams, they just bought three starters this week. Because they had extra pieces and you had nothing. You built your team on the back of really, really thin margins. So I think that is going to be the really, really fun period of this league is like week 13 to 15, where the contenders are trying to jockey on how to beat each other. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned a, an interesting point here where we, where we have teams already trading away all of their picks. And we don't have any fantasy points scored at this point. So we have no idea what things are going to look like you know, in four months. And I think that's something that people just don't really think about when it comes to either a late trade deadline. So again, this isn't for everybody. Your typical home leagues, you might have teams that just throw things away. But this is a league where we trust everybody. It seems like there's going to be you know, competitive managers making smart decisions. And if you don't have some sort of capital or some sort of asset that's going to be viable for trade down the stretch, you're just, you're just putting yourself in such a small percentage shot of actually winning and actually putting yourself in that position. I just don't think it's the smart thing to do. So if I am one of these teams that wants to be competitive, I want to build a competitive roster, you know, as much as I can, but I still want to keep, keep picks, whether that's acquiring a couple seconds, as you mentioned, 
even keeping my own first or, or acquiring another first, like I'm going to do some different things in order to give myself an advantage down the stretch because there is going to be a huge trade market at that point. While everyone right now, I'd say 90% of the teams think that they're still in it. Uh, realistically, yeah, it's just not going to happen. We got 12, 12 out of 36, 33% chance of actually making the playoffs. And you got to be in the top four from there. So Cody, what are your thoughts on some of this? It's definitely a thing that I would, I, I always like to have a little bit of liquidation on my team. I, I like to have those assets that I can just go, Hey, right now I don't need them. You know, somebody else, somebody's on a, somebody's on a hot streak. Somebody, one of my quarterbacks is actually, you know, may, maybe the Will Levis comes in and is starting that stretch of games. And maybe I can actually liquidate something else because I know that I've got another quarterback that's in maybe, whatever the case i want to have pieces that i'm able to just go hey i can sell this off right now because i don't need it because there's going to be a time later in the season that i think that i'll need it more and that's that's what i'm looking for in this league we, we talked about in, in the last show of when we think these pockets are going to start happening when does the fire sale happen is there even going to be one i, I think there's still going to be those teams that are in those positions where they have to start buying picks, especially as you already see, we're already seeing it. People already do not have any picks going forward. If anything goes wrong, how are they recuperating? How are they recovering? Even if it is a lottery, you still have to have a way to rebuild pieces on your squad. If it's not in the top, probably like eight of the league, there's going to be pockets that you can maneuver all the way throughout. I know Chase, you were grinding trade markets every single day. Scott, you played from the from the dynasty portfolio landscape as well, where it is a true grind on the trade market. And I think that is a, that's a underrated point of what people are could potentially miss, especially when you have 36 teams, there's going to be teams as well as we, as good as we think all of these managers are going to be all the way throughout the season. There's going to be teams that aren't able to stay up to the same level as other ones. And I think the, the people that can stay more involved, stay more fluid and make more like make better trades all the way throughout. You're going to have more success in a league like this. Just putting more time into it is going to be a pretty crucial point of it. It it is truly a grind that does not stop just after a 32 day auction that was already a grind. One key point you made, Cody, is to win a 36 team league, you almost have to operate on the extremes even more so than in a 12 team league. And people sometimes forget that there's a lot of times. And I do this in even like 16 team leagues or even 14 team leagues, forget about copy leagues, but even a 16 team league, I usually am the one that I'm aggressively trying to be the first to my market to trade my picks in those leagues, understanding the volatility and the gap between one and 16. So just, even if I finish in the middle, I'm trading away a lesser asset than I would be in a typical league that's a random future first. So it's kind of like when you can take advantage of those windows and take advantage of the nuances here, it, you, got, you have to have an extreme strategy to win this. Very few people, I think, went into this going, I'm going to build a team that's just better than everybody else. So you got to have a direction, whether it's through strategy, whether it's through trading, whether it's through whatever it is, you got to have a way to say, I'm separating myself from everybody. And that's not just in the auction. That is, here's my plan because I think the league is going to behave this way, and here's my plan to really put the hammer down at the end of the year. And that could be the team that has a bunch of extra picks that somehow manages to stay in it. All of a sudden, they can be the 11th best team that makes the playoffs. They get into the quarterfinals, but somehow they have three firsts. And they just went to the team that got knocked out, and they bought five players. Crusty players. You know, probably a bad quarterback, a couple old receivers, maybe a running back that's getting current touches. And you go, really? They gave up two firsts for that? But that was part of their strategy. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to get there, but if I do, I have the ability to throw the hammer down. And I think that's where the trade deadline comes in. Because I've literally looked at Cody's trade block, and I'm like, you know what? I was this close to sending you an offer, Cody. After I got my roster spots down, I think the way you set up your trade block was very fair. And I'm surprised that nobody has made an offer even close to what your parameters are because I assume you would have taken it already because we're we're to the point where you had to have cut down. When people listen to this, it's already going to be done yep. with. But the, the point is, I think you said it at a point where I thought you would have got more bites than you did. But then I'm sitting here going, all right, do I have a team that I think can make the playoffs without trading with Cody right now? And I think so, yes. Now, could I trade with you? And if I hit on a couple of those pieces, could it literally round out to my team where I'm the best team, wire to wire, potentially? Who knows? 
But I'm weighing that because I know there's no trade deadline. And I know it's a long season. If there was a trade deadline and it wasn't a start 13 bus ball, I would have shipped my picks off already. Just because I know that the margins where everyone else can catch up on me are going to be much likely not realized in that format because there's a deadline and it's not this exact start 13 bus ball format either. So I think that's where it gets really interesting. I don't know if everybody's thinking about it that way, but I think some of the good teams should actually be going to someone like Cody being like, dude, I'll buy four starters from you. I'll buy four usable pieces. Even if it doesn't cost them a first, I bet if someone threw you a first, they could probably get three of those guys on your trade block, but they haven't done it. So what is their mindset? Are they seeing what we're seeing here or is it just ignorance and they're just not doing it for another reason? I don't know the answer, but I think that's, that is the most fascinating thing about this group of 36 and the way we've set up the structure of the trading in the playoffs here. I think, I think it is a, I think I'm good enough. I'd rather wait and see than make the decision two months before the season starts. Like, I, I think if, I think if we're looking at all of those players and what I was putting them at their value as, especially in a two for four deal in a start 13 best ball, I think if we are one day away from the season, that deal gets done. However, there's a lot of players with a lot of volatility. We still have to get to the season. And do I want to spend, like you said, that insulated value that I have and that insulated value that I can carry all the way to the playoffs and then potentially use that while I'm there? Do I want to spend that right now? And do I think it makes enough of a difference? I think that's that is what the teams are looking at as as well as the position that I'm in where I'm at a deleverage position because they know I have to cut. I think that is why nothing has really came through. We'll see if it comes through in the last eight hours here. We obviously, you know, as this one's coming out, uh, the, the period will already be over and we'll see if it happened. But I, I'm not expecting it anymore at this point. Well, and the big thing is like the people in this league are sharp. For the most part, everyone kind of has an idea of what they can get with a pick. And while your prices are totally fair, there is volatility just leading into the season. Will Will Dalvin Cook sign at one of these places and just nuke the value of one of these guys? Will Will Fournette or Zeke come in and take carries away from some of these running backs? So like there's fear in their minds of like, can I just pay this second or third round pick in two months, in three months? and still get the actual production that I would be buying. So I do think that that's part of it where in most leagues, some people would just take advantage of it and just be like, yeah, I'm just going to go out there. Here's a third. Give me two of those guys. Let's, let's see what happens. But people are just playing everything so close to the chest. It's like, well, I don't even know. I have no idea what I'm going to get with my pick here. I could get an absolute zero and just have thrown this away. And so I think that's part of it too, where you do have those people that just kind of have that in their mind of I'll buy it later. There's no need for me to do that right now. I do wonder, Chase, though, if the people that are operating that way, if they wait too long, it's too late. They may have said, okay, I'm going to hold out with my assets until I can realize the points. But if they wait too long and they fall behind in victory points and they're looking like one of those teams that's going to end up being in the could get relegated, might not get relegated, but man, I'm, I'm six victory points away from the playoffs and there's only five weeks left. It's really hard to make that up in a victory point league where you're only getting, you know, the max of a couple per, per week. I, I kind of wonder if I get where you're coming from with Cody's trade block. Like, sure. If you send a, a second for Rashad Penny, like that could be a guy that doesn't even make the roster and you just pissed away a second at the same time. If he starts producing most leagues would be forgiving. Most pe- most leagues that we're in that are start 11 lineup leagues that are not triple copy, Rashad Penny starts producing, it. anybody would take a second for him, right? Yep. Here, he starts producing to the point where, man, I, now I don't want to trade him until it's maybe too late. If I didn't make the playoffs, then I'll consider to move him. And a lot of the teams that were needing to get to that point missed the window. So it's going to be interesting to see who is the first that does break that dam like we were talking about. That goes and says, okay, I understand. I'd rather wait until week eight to see where my team is to get this deal from Cody. But I think in week eight, Cody's not given a deal like this once he's under the roster limit and if his team's contending. Like there may not be a team that is willing to operate on this this, this fringe range with their trade bait. And I'm the same way. Like I'm the kind of person that I because I play in a portfolio – I'm going to be closer to the margins on what I will trade players for, right? Like most of the time it isn't the price. 
It is, I'm doing it for an extrinsic reason that helps me free a roster spot so I can go pick up somebody else. It's free frab. It's a free pick. I mean, you guys will see me do it in other leagues. I'll just trade a player for a third or a fourth. Because I'm like, I can replace that guy off waivers, especially if it's a receiver or it's a backup running back. Why not? But not everyone's going to be like that. They're going to see a name. They're going to go, man, I can't trade that guy away. I know he's not worth a third, but I can't move him because I need those points on my roster. So it, there's definitely a mix of some portfolio people in here and then some people that I know are just going to be way too late to get to this strategy. It's a double-edged sword, and, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, Ray talks about it all the time. That do you have the dynasty discipline to make the deal when it's going to benefit your team? Just because you see them scoring points at that point in time, it's like, all right, well, you have the offer in your inbox. Is it still worth it to your team, first of all? And then do you even want to make that deal? Can you actually pull the trigger and make that deal? But then you also have that thought process of if I was, you know, theoretically, if I was willing to send Cody that deal right now, and I'm like, you know what? I can always do this later. When we start to see those points, you're going to have 30 other managers after those players at that point too. So you have to be the first one to Cody at that point and say, oh, you know what? I'm willing to do this deal. So you, you are playing with fire in a way as well. So yes, you have to, you know, take your bet, but you're also playing that big, huge gamble game of, can I actually be the first one to get back into Cody's DMS and get this deal done before he shops them around. And by the time you're listening to this, the deal's off the table, so it's not going to happen. But Scott, you do, you do raise up an interesting point because I, I'm not a true portfolio player. I'm, I think we just got up to like 11 or 12 leagues that I'm at right now. I'm, I'm truly not a portfolio player, especially in the terms that you are. You're talking about seeing this as, you know, in, in most leagues, in most cases, whenever you just go through the portfolio and you say, can I sell this player for the third? Can I sell this player for the second? Do you treat a league like this specifically differently? Because this is a crazy league. 36 teams, the payout's probably higher than most of the leagues you're playing in. The payout prize potentially, it's definitely probably, you know, much more because it's 36 teams that are paying into the pot. Do you treat this one as its own little isolated market or is it still just across the portfolio just because of pure rostership or does this one hold a little special place that's kind of outside of just the normal bounds of most leagues that you play in? It's, it's a great question because I think one thing that I've had to struggle with a little bit this summer is I have a full portfolio, but then I also have now a best ball portfolio of like 15 best ball leagues. So a lot of the players I'm willing to roster there are obviously different than I would in a lineup league. And let's be honest in a start. I mean, is, is there a format that can devalue a lot of the middle to lower tier players more than a start 13 best ball league with three copies. So yeah, there are a ton of players that you may say that guy's worth a second until you slap on the tag. This is a start 13 best ball and he's a wide receiver four. is he worth a second in a lot of leagues where if you plug it into a trade calculator, it says, yeah, you should be able to get 25 second. We can't trade 25 picks, but you get the point. Like that's his value until you get into this league and you go, okay, do I really want to give my second for that guy when I can find a guy on waivers that can maybe give me, you know, one of the weeks that player is going to give me of the three for the guy that I'm trading for. Or, you know, at certain positions, if especially if it's a, like a low end tight end or a receiver, there's probably just a cheaper option because they don't have the same name, but they may have the ability to score just as many points and you can get them cheaper. So I think this is where, it's hard to play portfolio with this league specifically, not just for what you said, but because the dynamics of who the players are and what they really are valued at is different here than even some of the other best ball leagues we're in. But this non-best ball, I think you almost have to separate it. So yes, I don't look at my players that I have here and go, okay, I have too much exposure to that guy, so I'm willing to trade him. It's more of, do I have too much exposure to this type of asset? but I have one out of the eight that are in that range that that guy can actually fetch a second. Like I saw Jalen Hyatt and Wandale Robinson for a second. Not only they're on the both on the same team, but they're on a team that's going to have literally six other receivers that are probably people are looking at them. Like they're all the same thing, right? Whoever the six giants receivers are, they're all going to be worth a third or a second in this league. If you have them, that's what you want to trade them away. So I just looked at that like, you know what? I'll just give up both of them. Give me the flexibility of the second. I was over the roster limit. That's the one trade I did where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to do a two for one, but give me the pickback and I got a little fab. That deal, I probably would have, no one would have given me that in a lineup league, but in a different format, best ball league, 
I might have looked at it like, you know what, maybe I want to be a little more strategic with trading two of those guys away. So that was a very specific one. But I think this just devalues a lot of the non-elite assets, this format. I think you're right with that with that one specifically and, and, and just talking about that trade specifically as well. Like in all likelihood, only one of those guys is actually even playing a, ma- a majority of snaps week to week. So like you're it's almost like you are making that trade just for a single one asset, really, because I, I don't think that it's going to be Jalen Hyatt and Wandell Robinson on the field. 100% of the time or while they're healthy playing 70 to 80% of the snaps. I just I just don't think that that's going to be the outcome, especially as we see them just keep bringing in guys. They they just seem like they need bodies and they're probably going to rotate. So I had that one hit my inbox. Honestly, I probably would have thought about it, but obviously I'm on the wrong side of that where I can't pick up the two assets and I already had a Wandale Robinson chair on my team. But Chase, do, do you think that type of a trade structure is whenever you're just liquidating for that type of player, do you think that that's the right way to go about that? Hey, I can just replace this type of player, get the second and there will be guys who will fill that role, fill that spot on my team. Too funny. We all drafted or, or auctioned uh Wandell Robbins and that's too funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, and that's actually, I was just kind of thinking this through. Yes. I have no problem doing that kind of trade where you're getting that second round pick where you're, you're probably just, took two third round picks and got a second. That's essentially what you got. And then you have the roster spots now to go pick up a replaceable player from waivers. I think you still have uh, fab for this first run, Scott. So I think that you're in a, a good spot. I think maybe you have a dollar or two. So you, you're able to actually replace that same production, getting the second round pick that you can still use later. But it was the, the thought that came to my mind is I'm actually curious with the start 13, Scott, and just the way you have started to do best ball more and more over the last couple of years. Are you more willing to trade for multiple assets? So I know in this case you bought or you, tr- you sold two assets for that second, but are you more willing to go and try and get two assets maybe on a different team? This way you have a higher probability of hitting the lineup. Same thing with your first round pick. Or, or do you prefer to get the most multiple assets versus going after one big player or tearing up with that pick? Yeah, I think that's the adjustment for me in best ball is that especially when you get into the ones with a lot of starters, like almost every league we start is a start 12 or a start 13. So you do have to definitely train your brain on, you know, how to value teardowns, how to value players on waivers. I mean, I've added 20 new players to my portfolio this offseason just because I'm picking up receivers where I would have laughed at you if you would have rostered Braxton Berrios or you know, gosh, I'm back in on Robert Woods, some LaVisca Chenaults, some Khalif yeah. Raymonds. I mean, but in best ball, you know, that's you look at the numbers and you go, how many players finished with a top 36 week in best ball at receiver? And you're talking, you know, it's like damn near 150 of them. Now, I don't know which ones they're going to be, but you can say in the summer of, you know, before the season, you're going to cast the widest net possible. And as soon as you know, OK, that's not going to work out, you can move off of them because, you know, others are going to come available. So I think it's. It is something that I thought about more. Normally, I'm the always taking the leverage, but I think there's a time and a place in best ball to do that, and I probably think it's more in the season to make those kind of moves. That's why I think this is a fascinating league to kind of experiment with that in because I don't know if this league is going to reward the timing of those deals as much as others. I think you could get squeezed out if that's what you're planning on doing. Oh man, I'll be, I'll be able to tear down during the season. I'll be able to buy multiple assets for my first or, you know, pick up a couple of spot starts for my second. It may not happen here. And then there's also the thing. And if you are in a league like this and you get too cute with the tear downs, you guys have talked about this in the past. How do you recover? You, you get penalized even more in a league where the draft picks are pure lottery and the relegation set up like this. If you tear down and you go, wow, I have a really, really deep 32-man t- roster where literally every player is hitting my lineup or has a chance to hit my lineup, but you've tiered off all of your flexibility, like we know this group is going to make you pay. There, There is no recovering, and you don't want to get there because like Cody said it earlier on, on DD on the first part, you get relegated, you need to have a strong team to be able to get unrelegated. Like you got to finish top three to get out of the relegation. Now there's some other nuances as where if they're like, is an orphan team, 
it'll bump the team up, you know, because the orphans will get dispersed into the relegation pool. But still, like, you can't get to a point where you started. And I'm just going to bring him up because, you know, he's going to listen to the show. But Brandon, he already he already traded away Jamar Chase. And that was one of the he was one of the teams that went into the auction and didn't get a ton of players and already tiered off an asset. Now, not that he couldn't tear off of Jalen Waddle, who was part of who he got back in that deal, but man, it feels like that's the kind of team where if that team doesn't miss or doesn't make the playoffs, gets relegated, ends up somehow with, I don't know, the 108. It could happen, right? Gets the 108. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fine. But you traded off the one asset where even if that asset didn't get you to the playoffs, you traded off the asset that you probably had two or three teardowns with if you wanted. And you just lost one of those teardowns right now. And one of the pieces you got back was a running back. So I thought that was a little bit of a, a risky deal for him. And that's the that's the risk in these best ball leagues I noticed is you do not want to go into, oh, I got to fully rebuild. The thing that I, at least with Waddle coming back in that trade, I think in 36 teams, there's enough people who still view Waddle as that asset, that type of high caliber asset that he's okay. But what the fear is, is you keep doing this type of thing. You keep doing it to where the point of you only have, you're trying to build out the depth because that's what you do. Like you only have so many high tiered assets. You have to tier them all down to be able to build out the depth of your team to be able to compete week over week. Because even if you have a bunch of high scoring, high valued assets, Week over week, we see the variance. It doesn't hit for you every single week. The studs and duds approach, especially once you put in the injury factor, is really hard to carry you all the way through. So you typically have to down-tier it. But can you down-tier it too far? And the answer is definitely yes, because a lot of the guys that are worth these seconds and thirds that you're getting back in these three-for-one packages, the two-for-one packages, they don't have long-term stability or long-term insulation in terms of dynasty value within the league. So you get down there, you accidentally go to relegation, and now you're only left with seconds and thirds. You don't have any intrinsic value left on your team. How do you recover to get assets that are worthwhile to actually put on your roster and score you points each and every week? It's it's a really scary thing whenever you down-tier it too far to where the point you still need to have some value either held in picks or in players that people want within your team. Because if your team fizzles out in this type of league, you are almost bound to never recover unless you just hope that somebody's going into the dispersal with you with a much better team than you. Yeah. And I feel like setting the market on those players is also very interesting too. Um, those high end players. I mean, we've seen Jalen hurts get traded twice, I believe. And then we saw Patrick Mahomes get traded. Uh, we've had Jamar Chase. So we've had these elite tier guys get traded. And Brandon did set the market, I believe, on uh, Jamar Chase. And he ended up getting traded a couple times as well. So you have those types of moves that happen. And, and he did get, you know, like you said, he did get Waddle back. There is still value f- you know, with him. People in the community do still like him, despite I know how you feel, Scott. And, and, and Cody and I are very much in the same boat when it comes to those uh, wide receiver twos or that second tier uh, of wide receivers. I just don't know how how it's going to pan out. Like you leave the auction with a certain number of players, and and if your goal is to fill out depth, trading your best assets is not the way I want to do that. I would much rather find different ways to tear down, find ways to get fab so I can add some of these free agent guys to my team and then take a full-on studs and duds approach so that I do have a full 32-man roster. But if your mindset is going to be, I'm going to trade off all of my high-tier players into you know, first round equivalent players. I mean, he does still have Justin Jefferson, you know, in this scenario, but you're just putting yourself in a situation to never recover. And I think we're going to see that more and more, especially with those, those teams that are thin with their roster spots. Yeah. And it's a dynamic where like, like one of the benefits of a portfolio, and I've talked about this many times, is you can be a little more liberal with how you build your team. You can kind of go, you know what, I have 60 leagues. I can afford to be a little more conservative with me just building out extra picks to give myself basically two to three years after my first year where I kind of like, I don't want to say tank, but productive struggle, punt, whatever you want to call it. But you know, once you do that, if you've roster constructed right and you've built some insulation and some of the assets, like maybe you get the two elite quarterbacks and then you just punt everything else. I've done that. But when you have two elite quarterbacks, if you have like Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, you can probably go, you know what? 
There's not a lot of pressure. It's very low pressure for me over the next two years. I can just pick off skill players, and it's not just drafting them. It's going to the market and waiting for someone's team to flip over from year to year, where this year they wouldn't trade any players for first. Next year, they're desperate to trade players for first, and you're the person that has five future picks over the next two years. You can easily add a Chris Godwin. You can add Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson. Now, you may not want to pay the price right at the moment, but you can fill those spots at any time in an active league. And you'll be able to do that here because it's 36 teams. But where you, where the team's going to struggle to get there is it takes balls to go into the, Hey, I'm going to load myself up for the future with picks. Cause if you're wrong, you're still stuck in relegation. And that's why I was like, okay, with Brandon's deal, cause Brandon got Chase and Jefferson. I got Chase and Jefferson. The one thing I had that others I don't think have is I think I have three players in Bijan, Chase and Jefferson that I have, I could turn that into literally three levels of teardowns if I wanted. I don't plan to, but if the building's on fire and I need to get out, I have an ability. I have an escape plan. It's built in. And But then there's some other rosters where I go, they don't even have the escape plan built in. They don't even have an elite quarterback. They don't have an elite player. So they don't have an exit plan. So if it goes wrong, how will they be able to crawl them crawl their way back? And then even more punishing here is if you enter the dispersal, you get relegated. So you can go into the dispersal because there's a point in time. You guys have probably done it before, too. There's a point in time where you have a roster and you need to just go in the dispersal. It's it. It's flat. You know, it's not. You don't have the steam to get to the top and it's time to go in the dispersal. So, yeah, you can go in the dispersal here, but you get relegated. And good luck building a team that's clearly top three in the dispersal. So you're already up against it. So it, it's going to be very interesting when you get into year two and year three of this league. Because you know, you guys know the pack's going to separate. There's going to be kind of like a haves and have-nots. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the have-nots. Because there's going to be some teams just drawing dead. You know, we mentioned it earlier that the, like there's a lot of parity um in the league and then you're starting to see some teams make moves to separate themselves i am waiting to see where how many teams truly do separate themselves from the from the rest of the pack and and put people in a situation where they are thinking about that so uh sorry cody i know you're gonna say something go ahead no i the only again just to just to add on to that is even if you do just start to acquire the assets again, touching on again, like it's still a lottery and you still have, you you don't even have to hit the, the prospects, right? You still have to hit the lottery, right? As well. It's just another layer on top of how difficult it is to actually get yourself back to true contention. If you do go down that far, it's just, a, it's a long, long road to trying to get back to, especially when other teams are still getting better year over year. Like we'll probably see over the first three years, it's going to take a while for these teams that are on the up right now to really fall back down. So it's, it's going to be a long grind of a league for 36 teams. And if you're in that bottom 12, uh, I'm feeling sorry right now. <laughs> I was just looking at, Oh, good. No, I was going to ask you both. Do you think, now, I'm really galaxy braining this, so tell me if I'm like completely on another planet. Do you think there could be an edge if a team is willing to suck that up for a year or two to going to that extreme? To, to where, and I don't think you can just tiptoe around it. You need to fa- find your foundation, and everything else almost needs to go. You, it, Ray's talked about it. If you're gonna if you're gonna go for picks in this league, you might as well go for every one of them you can get, and just cast the widest net you possibly can. And figure, all right, if I have six firsts out of 36, one of them's bound to land in the top two, top three. Now, you may get burned, but I kind of feel like if the person does that, there's only one or two people that can do that and even be close to an effective strategy. But I do think it speaks to the fact that if you can operate on the extremes, even if it's challenging for you to get back up, there is going to be a middle ground of teams that will be willing to deal with you once you're in that position. But you got to go to the extreme. You got you can't just have two firsts. And I don't know if either of you guys were in voice chat when I said who is what will be the most picks anybody holds in year one of this league. And I think somebody said like five or four or something. I'm like, does anyone get to like nine, which will be the equivalent of th- of three firsts in a regular league, which is not crazy. Does anyone get to nine out of thirty six here? And I everyone was like, no way, no one's gonna get to nine. A because I don't think people will trade nine away to them. But B, I don't know if anyone has assets that they're willing to acquire nine picks 
because they could literally be deadening their team for three years. Easy. I think that would be the big thing is uh, if, if they had to deaden their team completely to nine. Like, you know, Cody always looks at how many draft picks equivalent, like first round draft pick equivalent does a roster actually have. And there's not a ton that are going to have like nine first round picks and then be able to have a core to build around still like a couple players to build around. Um, I, and it's funny you, you brought this up because what I was going to bring up was it was not great, Bob. Um, he currently has four 24 firsts already. He has four of those, and I think he has, he has two uh, 24 seconds right now. He still has a solid group at quarterback. He still has some pieces that he built around, but he's also one that did tear off of uh, tear off of Mahomes. So, you know, he might be one that could go down that path potentially. Um, he's Darth Vader, I believe, on this. So, you know, he's he's one of those teams that could potentially get six, seven. He has QJ still, Kittle. Like, depending on what he's willing to do, he's already said he's okay going into relegation. But at the same time, he's like, that's not the plan. So if he can stay competitive, maybe he can use those picks in a different way. Similar to what we talked about earlier is, can you time the market right with having a bunch of picks? So that team in particular is one I'd be watching for to, to get to that six, seven, maybe eight first range, potentially. But uh, he's got quite the capital right now. Cody, what do you think? If he really wants to go there, he could do it. Like yeah. he's got Tua, Dak, Quentin Johnston, and George Kittle on this team right now in a two tight end league that's pretty heavily juiced. Like he could actually do it, and he could do it earlier than anybody else. He's and he's going to be the one. He will be the one and only to do it because you've already consolidated nine out of thirty six on one team. Everybody else is still trying to stay in contention. I, I don't mind this at all. And he's he you're saying he has four already. Like if he's already got the four and he's still got this core, he's just betting on a two and Dak to stay healthy. Maybe Gino to play more than a couple of years. And this could be this could actually be one that flips pretty quickly if done right. But again, you have to hit on the prospect and you have to hit on the pick. It's it's a riskier move than I'm typically willing to take as I'm not playing in, in a large portfolio. But I know, but Bob is playing in that portfolio, man. He's he, mind. He's playing on the he's playing on the margins. He's playing on the extreme. I think this is the extreme level that he can take the risk on. Does he have the infrastructure right now to even threaten for a playoff spot? Even though he has five quarterbacks at the moment, does he have enough otherwise? to get close to where he could be dangerous with those four firsts that he already has. Or, I mean, Chase, have you kind of already penciled him as a team that's not going to be a contender, even though he has the first at this point? I personally have. Um, I think he could potentially, depends on what he can do with that quarterback room and, and what value he can extract out of that. Having, you know, Dak, Rodgers, Geno, Stafford, and Tua, you got five. Um, and, and while you, you want four, two, five, I still think that he has a couple higher end guys in Dak um, and Rod or Dak and Tua that he can figure out something to do with Rogers, Gino, or Stafford uh, to either add draft capital or to get another piece that's actually going to you know net him points. Um, I my fear is when you go too far into that that pick realm, um, it's hard to come out. It's like really hard to come out of. So I don't know if that would be something he's willing to do is acquire another first for a quarterback. Um, and then just kind of punt, but he's that he's not a playoff team right now in my mind. Yeah, I mean it's locked in bottom three uh, as it stands right now. It doesn't matter how many quarterbacks you have if you you can only start two of them each week. Outside of the quarterbacks, you're maybe filling out each of the positional roles with like more than ten points a week. And in this league, that's really juice scoring. I don't think there's any way that this team, as it currently stands, is, isn't more than like bottom right. six. Now, now, could he flip those assets back? It's still plenty early enough. If the if the you know pick deflation just keeps happening and he can buy a, a hell of a lot back with all of those picks, just flip them all before the season starts. Like he could get back to a team that is actually in pretty strong contention. But as it currently stands, no, it, it's penciled in as bottom four for me. And the irony is, uh, you know, Cody, you got to thank Chase for throwing him in that year division because you know <laughs> that that's one less team you got to worry about. It, didn't think you'd be saying that, but yeah, that's that's probably <laughs> the one team you may be able to eliminate now is in your division. I, my only fear with the way he's doing it, 
I see where he's going, but if it's me and I'm sitting on what he has right now, I almost am. You got to split those quarterbacks for skill players if you want to even have a prayer. But he's also doing this on a team where there's a world where three or four of his quarterbacks are destroyed by next year. Definitely within two years. That's the risk is you're not doing it with the QB room that really you're confident even could survive you getting out of relegation. So it's going to be very interesting to see what he does because I think the quarterbacks in this league, he could probably fetch at least a first for four of those quarterbacks, if not multiples, if he packaged. But I could also see this QB room where in two years he goes, cool, man, I got relegated year one, got out of relegation, but I don't have any quarterbacks. Or I have, I only have two quarterbacks. Like he's he's making some big bets on Tua, and obviously Geno Smith and Aaron Rodgers giving him more than a two year window. If they don't, I don't think this is going to work, unless he goes to the extreme and trades all of those guys and ends up with. I mean, I think with with what he has, if he wanted to go, how far do you think he could get Chase if he traded everything? You think he could get the twelve? If he traded everything, yeah, I think everything. So. Okay, yep. yeah, but you know. That takes we, we, we just I say it was like we just talked about it earlier, like coming back from from not having any assets of value on your team. Like, yes, those picks are valuable, no doubt about it. And theoretically, he should hit in the lottery if some of those are our lottery picks, depending on the percentage of you know first you would have in there. But man, you're just it's a it takes balls. It's a massive, massive gamble that you're just stuck in relegation for three four years cody let me ask you if if he were to trade and if he were to gut the team right would it make you more likely to do that knowing you're already relegated so like your dead year in relegation next year is going to be the year where you're essentially banking on a bunch of rookies and new players anyway is this like a three-year plan because i can see where he's going with it but i also feel like if he doesn't go to that extreme it may not be an edge at all once everything plays out. Uh, the the way that I just went through it, like I I almost wonder if you are like, like him. He's got got a ton of leagues. Could you literally just play like the Powerball method here? Because because we have multiple copies. If he has that many picks, what if three of them land at the one? He gets the one hundred one, the one hundred two, and the one hundred three overall. It, what like just what if he hits the jackpot on it, it and he turns three individual firsts? into four first worth of value. And if I'm him, if I'm doing that, I'm also selling Jamal Williams, Devin Singletary, Josh Downs. I'm selling everything. Yeah. I want every pick and that that's very risky. I have two. see, this is where you can do this in a portfolio as well. I have two leagues that are Devi. One of them is 46 man rosters and one is 40 man rosters. I'm rostering between 27 and 35 Devi players on those teams. Can't even field a starting lineup. <laughs> And it's to the point where it's literally every good Devi player from 2025 and 2026. But those are one out of my 60 leagues, two of my 60 leagues. You know what I mean? So they're more for, I don't want to say fun, but they're totally on a different plane than all the other ones that I'm in. That's what this would be. But I mean, how fascinating would it be if he's just like, because I think in this league, if you did it right, you could grind your way to 10 firsts, eight seconds, 10 thirds, you know what I mean? Just picking up players off waivers, flipping them for a third. They have a spike week. They have a roll, but that's how I'd do it. I'd go into next year going, I have every pick. I literally have 18% of the draft picks that exist in this league. They're mine. And just see where the lottery goes. That's probably the play, right? Like when you really look at this simply, simply because one, he can do it as you mentioned with the portfolio aspect, but you know, Right now, the pick market is depressed. So if he's able to acquire a bunch of these picks, we're going to have 2024 hype out the ass in the offseason. And he's going to be able to profit on that. Whether he even has to make those picks or if he can trade them to other other teams, like he's going to be able to profit and build a roster if he does it right. So I would actually be really interested. 
Bob, let's just trade teams. I actually kind of want to do this. Um. <laughs> especially especially as he's already traded off of Patrick Mahomes, right? Because if yeah. I was doing this type of a strategy where I'm just trying to accumulate picks, I want something centered. I want some. I want a core asset that I'm rebuilding around, like a Patrick Mahomes, like one of these top quarterbacks that we project to still be, you know, that we went through the exercise of how many of these quarterbacks are still going to be top 10 five years down the road. And it's, it's hard to place any of these outside of like the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allens, and maybe the Jalen Hurts if he can you know stay on this trajectory i want one of those to build my team around but whenever you have that ability to just go to that extreme it's an extreme that i'm not personally willing to take but it has so much potential for the profit if it does hit right well and what did you post on your trade bait cody and what did i post on my trade bait reasonable players you could buy for seconds and thirds and fab and I've seen this in other leagues, and I'm not sure how to feel about it, but there's been plenty of leagues where I've done exactly what we've talked about that Brian should do in this case. And maybe it's not to that extreme, but it's, okay, like this year, I had a couple teams where I ended up with like five firsts, but I also had a bunch of seconds and a bunch of thirds. Now, when we get closer to the rookie draft time, I already know kind of what my firsts are going to be. Like I know where they're at. I kind of know what players those are going to end up being. So I've started to build kind of the shape of a contending team because I have all these extra value that I've accrued in the first year. But what do you do to typically, what do you do when you have six firsts, but a bunch of seconds and a bunch of thirds? Like he can maybe get back in this pretty quickly if people are willing to go, like, like let's say he has 12 firsts, Cody. Are, are you willing to dump him a bunch of usable players for seconds and thirds at that point, knowing how much value he holds at the top Knowing that if he if he can maneuver those high end pieces, you've just thrown him a bunch of points for fair deals, but you're kind of putting it you're 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 feeding a fire that could get out of control by trading with that specific manager. It's almost like they have so many assets protected now. I really don't want to deal the lower end points to them unless it's an advantage to me. And I, maybe that's just a feeling by me. But if he worked that right, given that there's 35 other teams, I bet you. If he bought a bunch of seconds and thirds and just took those into the offseason, he could get some really, really good bets on buying points when nobody wanted points in May and in June or even before the rookie draft. He'd be able to buy guys for thirds where you go, I'd give a second for him now because we're closer to the season. And he could get back in this thing a lot quicker than we thought. He just probably needs his high-end rookies to produce a little bit. He's out of relegation, and then he potentially has a powerhouse. I mean, when you can just take all of these thirds right now and just sell them for all of the vet, all of the vet running backs that don't have jobs. Like if, if you just bought points of the Zeke, the Fournette, like they're going to play somewhere this year and you could just buy those type of points. And then you have the allotment of seconds that you can just say, hey, you know, that wide receiver two, that wide receiver three on the team that he has no future, but he's still going to score points this year and, and have the allotment of first that you're able to fill out the entire front half of the roster with and then throw all of that. And you can even down tier those seconds if you wanted to, to just completely fill out when you're talking to start 13 best ball. It's a scary proposition, man. It's, if it's done right, it, it has a lot of risk built into it. it it's an incredibly risk built, you know, it's high risk, high reward upside, but I absolutely, I personally couldn't put myself in that position. It's just not how I, it's not how I typically play, but I love the thought process and love the love what it could become. You play to win the game. So I'm with you. Like that's, it's a, it's a tough one to mentally do, but I'm super excited to watch Brian or not great, not great Bob, you know, execute this. Hopefully. Hopefully he goes down that path because I, I would love to see it play out. If he can get double digit first round picks, uh, just just kind of fill out some of that depth that he would need, and then go acquire some powerhouse players, some high end players. Uh, th this that would be fun. That'd be fun. I'm, I'm actually really interested in his roster. That'll be a fun one to watch. Yeah, it's funny. The last twenty minutes we've talked about his team, but I think it, <laughs> cre it it's it's a bigger discussion that's not just his roster, but yeah. because you're in a thirty six team league. This is where the strategy on the extremes can be either could wreck your team forever or you never come back from it, or it could put you in a position where you go, okay, it's going to be work. I'm going to have to grind because there's a lot of work doing what that we're suggesting every week. He's going to have to go. Who can I pick up? Who can I trade? You may not be able to just get the trade. You got to go send out an offer of I'm spamming this receiver for a third to 26 other teams. Like it is a grind to play that way, but you could get to that point where it's like just playing the time value of the assets 
probably wouldn't work in a 12 team. There's not enough volatility to exploit it. There's going to be a couple teams that are just always going to be better than you because of the way they built their foundation. But here, I think with the dynamics that we have, especially Chase, like you said, if he hits on two 101s and a 102 and two 104s with those first, that's not just five players. That's maybe 10 players, eight players. That's uh, I traded a Caleb Williams share for an, another top eight quarterback. And then I down-tiered that 102 for two pieces. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, you look at his team and you go, damn, this is the... He has the 13th best roster, and we haven't even started next year. And that's assuming he's not going to really get production from rookies right away. So I, it, I'm i starting to get jealous of doing it. It's too late for any of us to go down this road. <laughs> but you, you can see where it would work because yeah. you know that many other teams, what are they going to do here? They're just going to stay in the middle, you know? They're going to be the teams where hit just him going to the extreme is going to pass up half the league as long as he's active and he executes it right. So I think that's where it's a cool discussion for pretty much anybody can apply this to a league they're in if they're willing to to go to the extreme, especially if it's deeper leagues or you know multiple copy leagues. Yeah, I think the mistake that could be made is is trading those picks to try to just not get relegated. I mean, at this point in time, just lean in. Just lean in. Like you said, grind, grind every single week and just lean into this. You know, th there's not many teams that are going to get four first round picks in 2024. Uh, and he's already done that. So lean in and let's see how this kind of works out. Yeah, I mean, we, we're, we're spending 20 minutes talking about an individual team in an individual league. And while, while it doesn't seem like it translates across, like this is the type of stuff that we like to actually put a lot of our brain power to. This is the thought process that's so much for, further beyond just, hey, this is your standard 12 team, start 10, th the same thing that we've been playing for so long. Like this is the next level of like, how do you in your specific league, in your specific format with your individual market base, how do you take that and try to leverage to the best of your ability, everything that you have to be able to win that specific league. And I think that's, that's where we're going from here. You know, it, it, you can look anywhere and you can, you can have individual player takes. You can have just strategy for an individual, just base vanilla format league that is everywhere. But when you're here and when you're in these Heisman chat conversations that we're having, that the level of conversation the level of intellect that we're putting into this with the warp tools and everything else it's just so much further than your standard vanilla stuff it's how it is truly we play in so many different leagues how can you best describe and how can you best leverage your ability to take over that league that you're in that's what we're here and trying to do man yeah that's my final point cody is you you kind of sold the reason why our community is so good why heisman's so good it's not just learning about dynasty and interacting, but it is literally training your brain for what I think personally as a content creator, that's been around for a long time. I think this is the future of dynasty. I've played for 10 years. So I've seen when I first started that there was no discussion of any strategy. Even a couple of years ago, there was not a lot of strategy. There was some, but not to the level that we're at now, not to the level where we have tools that can help us see the strategy quicker but also the skill of being able to go into a league, not just have the, the roster construction and all of that stuff down pat, right? And being able to execute it. But now, once you've done that, read the psychology of everybody in your league. Read the league market. We say that all the time, but what does it mean? And I think being able to listen to stuff like this hopefully stimulates people's dynasty brains to go, okay, I have some leagues that are a little different. It's not the same as the other league that I'm in. Even if you're only in three, they're all different. How can you use some sort of thinking to get an edge in those? It's not, you're never going to be able to solve perfectly who to sit, who to start, what players to draft, what players to trade away, what players to trade for. Like that's, that's not an edge anymore. All of us know that. In fact, you get to a point where we all play with each other in leagues. There is there is no edge with player information. If you're the guy that tries to trade the player high because of news, like you, you're actually shunned in a lot of our leagues. You know, like don't even try that here. So that I think that's the future of Dynasty. It's not just the tools, but it's also the, t the people that can just think better and problem solve better are going to be the ones that come out ahead. And you won't find any better thinkers than patreon.com forward slash all gas. Make sure you're part of that Heisman tier. You'll have access to all of the content creators on Destination Debbie. 
incredible community, great friends that we've made in there. And uh, you'll get to have conversations like this in voice chat on the daily. So again, patreon.com forward slash all gas. Make sure you tap into everyone on Destination Debbie Radio. Make sure you do subscribe to the newsletter as well. Uh, Brandon puts in a ton of hard work for that. So do all the content creators. So make sure you are subscribed to that. And I have one last question before we wrap out of here. I just want to know what has been like the biggest lesson that you learned from, from this auction, um, whether that be timing, maybe budgeting, maybe spending at a certain time. Just curious. We'll start with you, Cody. What was your biggest lesson from this auction? My, my biggest thing that I took away from this, especially when it's a league this big with a lot of people you don't know, don't expect, don't, don't, don't think that you can expect what to happen from the 11 other dynasty managers that are playing with you. There's going to be volatility. There's going to be reasons that nothing works out the way that you think it should, the way that's optimal. Everything is going to have a pivot point and you have to be, you have to be able to play minute by minute in these type of leagues. Um, nothing is going to play out the same way that you thought as soon as you got started. And we, we all came in with plans. We described what our plans were. I'm sure they changed you know, daily, every single day. We see new noms come up. The plan changes every single day. It is, you cannot go into this with a true and just rigid, this is what I'm doing because you're going to be left behind just due to the volatility of everybody else in your league. For me, I'll just say that I I think I went into this as probably the most relaxed, confident player in the league, but there was even a round where I was on tilt, and our entire conference was on tilt. And I'm not going to get into the specifics because it doesn't matter, but it happens in every league, every auction, every startup. There's that point where you go, am I doing this right? This is the point where, man, I'm panicking just a little bit. Even if you go into it going, I know exactly what my plan is. And even if it's going smooth and you're executing it, there's going to be that breaking point or two where you you really have to sit back and re-examine things and think through the decision. And I happen to think to made the wrong decision in this. Maybe I'll expand on it on a future show. I made the wrong decision. It cost me an extra asset that I could have you know, used for something else later. But even then someone that's in damn near 60 leagues and has played forever. I still was like, you know what? Got a little panicked on what was going to happen. I didn't read the room, right? It cost me. And even the most seasoned players can have that happen. So when you get to those points, like just kind of understand it's like doing public speaking, no matter how many times you've spoken public, you're still going to have that 15 second period where you're like, damn, I have that pit in my stomach. I'm nervous. And then you get up there and you crush it. You know, you might have actually put on an awesome speech, but you still had that 15 second period where you were super nervous. Like, what if this goes wrong? What if something just doesn't feel right? So just know that's going to happen. Even if you've done this 50 times, even if you've done the same format startup five times in a row, there's going to be that uncomfortable point where it's like, this isn't going exactly how I want. And you're going to have to make a decision. So just recognize that think through it, take a little extra time to really examine what the outcomes are and then just make the best decision that you can. Yeah. Fluidity is super important, especially in auction. My, my biggest thing was, uh, I kind of focused a little bit too much on my league mates. You know, I was assuming people would stop spending and it just didn't happen. So I would have spent up earlier, but I was like, ah, you guys are spending about $20 more than I would anticipate this player going. I'm like, I'll get the advantage later. And it just didn't happen. I, if I would have, if I would have stuck with my guns and just paid the extra ten dollars at the time, which felt like it was a lot because we were early on and we had quarterbacks. I think two. I think we had the first two rounds. So for us, quarterbacks came off early. So you're already down to, you know, sixty percent of your budget, fifty percent of your budget. And if I would have just spent on some of these these higher end players earlier, I would have gotten what. Now we know our discounts, but at the time I felt like I was overspending. I just can't spend an extra five or $10. Just can't do it. And I do think that it kind of hurt my overall roster and how I would have built it out. But uh, yeah, you know, had to pivot from there and, and made some different moves, but yeah, spending early, it always pays off. <laughs> at least in this community, 
at least in this community and in, in, in these Heisman leagues that we've done so far. I, I know I've seen other places where it doesn't pay off because people are spending too much and they go into three high leveraged assets within the first, you know, two days of the auction. Yeah. Then then it goes too far. But typically whenever whenever you're playing these USFFL style auctions, it is spending early typically pays off better. It's not spending up for the biggest and best thing every single round early, but spending some sort of money early has typically every single time turned out to be a good bet. Scott, any last things before we wrap out of here? No, I think that's uh, you guys closed it off with a really good point about just understanding the parameters. You know, the fact that you only had to win 18 players. A lot of teams just go, all right, I only have to win 18 players. They just keep price enforcing all the way to the very end. They don't care about, you know, what they ended up with. And I'm kind of with you. That's a really good point. If you had to win 32, it would have been totally different. But just reading the room, understanding the parameters, uh, that's what the new age dynasty advantages so really good show guys we put together a lot of thoughts that i think can help a lot of people so appreciate you guys having me on yeah, thanks so much for having us on and doing this look forward to collabing in the future again patreon.com forward slash all gas heisman tier be a part of that community and thanks so much for joining us here on the overreaction podcast